0: I'll be the first person to admit that I probably had more struggles than most people want to admit to. Can I actually do my own taxes? Absolutely not. Can I create a beautiful vent? Absolutely yes. I, I always made sure I had the people that were around me that were smarter than me in the areas of expertise I don't know. Those people are the ones that will allow anyone that's in this business to elevate themselves.
1: Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast, brought to you by FreshBooks. If you're an entrepreneur, freelancer, side hustler, big thinker, or just a straight up dreamer, then this is your show. Today's episode is inspired by a question from our listener, Eve. Hey, Damona. I'm Eve. I'm an event planner, and I run my own company here in Atlanta, Georgia. My business was hit really hard in 2020. What can I be doing right now while I'm waiting for events to pick back up? Eve, my friend, you are not alone. A lot of business owners who depend on live events are in the same boat right now. So I have called in the big guns to give you some guidance. I'm talking to the David Tutera, celebrity wedding planner, TV personality, and entrepreneur. You may know David from his super popular reality shows like My Fair Wedding and Celebrations. He's used these opportunities to expand not only his live event business, but also to launch his own bridal gown and accessories collections, plus a luxury home decor business and so much more. When David first appeared on TV, he seemed like an overnight success. But of course, there's more to the story behind his skyrocket to event planning stardom. Here's David on how he makes a living. I
0: make a living by making people happy. And making people happy is through the through the art of celebrations. Any celebration should be something about joy. And that's how I make a living.
1: I love that you dug right down into not only the what, but also the why. Yes. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs sort of lose sight of the why. We get so caught up in the day-to-day that it's important to remember who it is that we're serving and what our goal is ultimately. So more specifically, people probably know you as a wedding and event planner. They know your shows. They know celebrations. They know My Fair Wedding. They might be aware of, you know, the glitz and the glamorous side of wedding planning. But I want to hear a little bit more about your journey getting started because nobody really starts at that level, right?
0: You're right. They don't. They sort of get to the point where they see the height of the success and go, wow, that's amazing. How did you do it? Well, you know, everyone that needs to be successful or wishes to be successful, it's a lot of hard work and it takes an enormous amount of time. And I do believe that struggles equal successes. And if you're not aware of the struggles that you've had, as I've had in my career, which I'll happily share sort of the bumps down the road. You have to be able to be focused and understand that not every choice that you make, that every decision that you make is the right one. And you need to find that new journey, that new path, that new exit off the freeway to understand how to get to the next place in life. And a lot of people assume, and and I always like to tell this story, they assume that they think that I just showed up and I was successful. I was doing an interview many, many years ago, a live interview on television, and The woman that was interviewing me, I don't remember her name. She says to me, wow, you are an overnight success. Tell us how that happened. And I was stunned by the question because I had already been 15 years into my career, if not 20. And I I kind of reacted a little bit abruptly by saying, wait a minute, this is just not an overnight success. I started when I was 19 and I have worked really hard and made major mistakes. So I'd like to think that you think that that's true, but the reality is, is that everyone, In any business, whatever size your company is, predominantly most people are starting with no one. Myself, myself. I was the owner. I was the take. I took the orders. I delivered the product. I did the books. You you name it, I figured it out. I didn't come from a school of education on business. I was going to school to become an attorney, left after a year and a half from New Fordham University and chose to step into something accidentally, which was singing telegrams, which was what I started to do to make a little bit of money at 19, ultimately purchasing the company because the owner decided to retire. And I just was at the right place at the right time. And I stepped into this tiny little business.
1: Wait a minute. I actually didn't even know. You You started doing singing telegrams?
0: Yes, I did. I didn't intentionally do this. It was just, if I'm going to leave school, I knew I needed to make money. I looked at a small little ad in the local newspaper. At the time, I was living in Westchester County, which is outside the city of New York, 20, 25 miles north. And I caught this ad looking for singing telegram delivery people. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll answer the ad.
1: Looking for singers to deliver these singing telegrams.
0: <laughs> well, deliver the singing telegram in a costume. I dressed up as a chicken, a gorilla, a barbershop quartet, you name it. I put it on. Got in the van, had the balloons, and I also wrote the singing telegram. So I would have to interview the recipient's information by the person that was giving it to them, and I'd write a little ditty. I would write a little song and I'd deliver the song. And it was I did that for about two years and was making really decent money for the age that I was at. And she said, listen, I'm, I'm headed to Boca, Florida, and I'm retiring. You want to buy it? I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have $12,000, and neither do my parents. So I actually asked my grandfather, who owned a successful flower shop, and that's sort of where the birth of this business became a reality. I, I learned a lot from my grandfather, who also had no education, and he ran a success, very successful business in Rhine, New York. And he was the one that guided me for the, probably the first two years of how to make a profit and how to, you know, not lose your, your profitability based on perishables when you begin to order flowers. And I started segueing from singing telegrams into doing little parties. And that was the real beginning of me entering into a world of events that I didn't really knew people did.
1: Wow. I'm so amazed by that story. I can't believe that wasn't actually the first television show that you did because that sounds like a show in itself, but we'll talk about that later. I want to hear more about your grandfather because I understand your grandfather was an immigrant who came to this country when he was young. And as also the grandchild of immigrants, I feel like there is something in that work ethic of you've got to come here and work hard and make it and make a living for your family that really... Gets passed down from generation to generation. Can you talk a little bit more about watching your grandfather run his florist business and even any experiences that you had working with him that then gave you lessons that have been applicable to growing your business?
0: My grandfather was a very, very hard worker. And he, at the age of eight, came over from Calabria, Italy, and moved to Westchester County. And he had no education. And he went to work at a this little flower shop on Purchase Street in Rye, New York. And he worked there at the age of 13, sweeping the floors. You know, and he told me this, always would tell me this story that you stay quiet, you stay in your lane, and people will look at you and realize that you're a hard worker. And those are the simple things he had to teach me, and there were so many more, which I'll share. And as he got older, he went from sweeping the floors, to cleaning the flower boxes out, to then driver of the van, to deliver the floral, to then, he never became a designer. He knew he wasn't creative, but he knew he was a hard worker. And then several years later, at the age of 47, mind you, he worked there from 13 to 47. He bought the business at 47 years old. And I enter into the world now. And at the age of 13, he said, come on, come and work with me. So I would go to work with him on the weekends mm-hmm. and I would sit in the back room and I would answer the phones. I would say, hello, this is David. This is Mariah brothers. How may I help you? And I took the orders at the age of 13 for the flowers that needed to be delivered. And then as it progressed a little bit over a couple of years, he said, come in the back room where the designers are and just watch what they're doing. You can't design anything, but you can certainly watch. And over a course of all that time, he was the one that was sort of giving me these little sort of nuggets of information. And I was watching and learning, A, how to respect your staff. B, he all he talked about, always talked about, profitability, profitability. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't overextend yourself. Make sure you can afford your taxes and your payroll and your staffing. He always sort of drilled that into my head. Again, here I am on 13, 14, 15, 16. What do I care about that stuff, Right. But it was ingrained, embedded into me, by someone who had no education, who knew how to make money, and it was brilliant. I have a photo of—I mean, I have a photo of my grandfather right to my right of me. It's the two of us sitting there together. I owe everything to the tenacity of how he ran his business.
1: Yeah, it's important to learn those lessons young. I'm thinking as a parent about my own kids, and I'm like. I don't know. My, my daughter's coming up on 13. I don't know that I would put her on the phones just yet, but you know, I think it maybe was a different time and they're learning different skills now, but it's interesting that now you have all of these extensions to your business. In addition to the wedding planning, you have your bridal gowns. And I read that your grandmother was a seamstress and your grandmother's sister had a bridal boutique. Is that right?
0: Yes. So this comes later in life. And I love telling this story because it's a new one. I always knew my grandmother was a seamstress because she was the one that made the money to help my grandfather actually get the company that he had the the business. But um, what I didn't know, this is maybe just three years ago. Okay. Three years ago, I'm looking at a picture that I have at my house and I'm like, why is my Aunt Ida cinching the waist of my mom's wedding gown? It would be my grandmother that would be doing that, right? At least that's what I would think, or her sister or her maid of honor. So finally, I, I said to my mom, why is Ida cinching your wedding gown before you get married? She goes, well, what, you didn't know? Know what? I owned a bridal boutique and custom-made wedding gowns. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. How has no one <laughs> told me that the world of weddings and fashion has been part of my family and everyone left it out? So it's, you know, sometimes the things that you do are because of it's ingrained into the roots of your family. I was blown away.
1: It is really amazing, like the foundations that are laid from previous generations, not just in the work ethic and the things they actually teach us, but sometimes even just the skill set. when you go back. We hear a lot on the show, people that come from a long line of entrepreneurs that feel that entrepreneurial fire in them as well. Let's fast forward a little bit more into... Your journey in growing this business, you started with the singing telegram business, and then you talked to your grandfather about the floral business, and then you kind of put those two together. Well,
0: the missing piece in that is is that when I had the singing telegram company, I would decorate the front of my window. I had a little teeny tiny little store next to a movie theater. I took a rental I rented a space, and a woman basically just came in my space that one afternoon the following day of watching a movie at the theater. And really just said, listen, I want to hire you to decorate my son's bar mitzvah, like the window that you have here displayed. And that was my entree into events. It happened at that very moment. Harriet, I'll never forget her. She's, you know, wherever she is in life right now or wherever she might be above. Harriet came in and said, listen, can you do my son Seth's bar mitzvah? And I thought, sure, absolutely. That's a great idea. I had no idea what a bar mitzvah was. I had never thrown a party. And The lesson to that, I've always said when I get on and keynote any conference I speak at is the most powerful word. The most powerful word you could ever use is yes. It sets you up for everything, good and bad, but it's strong. Once you say no, you legitimately have put a fence around yourself. I just said yes, got the job, and it introduced me into a world of people that hire someone that's creative to create and provide an experience for their guests and for the honoree. And there I went. I took off from there.
1: I'm so curious if you can go back to that moment, like when you were putting the flowers in the shop window, was there ever an idea in your head, David, that maybe somebody would see this, maybe this could turn into something more?
0: No. I can tell you today, there's things I can't remember from yesterday, but that store window that I created was so ugly. It was it was and I didn't even touch flowers yet. So this was like pre-my grandfather giving me the ability to learn how to do flower arrangements. So I went and bought black ostrich feathers, silver lame feathers, and I had silver lame on a black tablecloth. It was so 1980s, it was brutal, but it caught the attention of this woman's eye. And she legitimately said, Make exactly what you just made of the window for all the tables, 250 people, 25 tables. I'm thinking I barely was able to put one together. So I was able to now try to figure it out. And that's when I called my grandfather and said, okay, what, how do I order? What do I do? What do I need? What are the, like, the technicality of putting together a centerpiece? He took me through those steps.
1: And he looked at your sample and was like, oh, no, we, <laughs> he, I need to help this boy.
0: <laughs> he probably thought, yeah, this is, he's not going to go too far.
1: <laughs> but you must have done a great job because I always think of, I never try to do a job one time. I always assume that if I do a good job, that more opportunity will come for me if I really work hard and do my best. And I'm curious for you if doing that job just led to more opportunities or if something was really ignited within you when you did the arrangements and realized this is actually something that I have a talent at and a passion for.
0: Yes, yes, and yes. I always knew I was creative and I always knew I wanted to be creative. The creativity clearly was inside me. And this woman unleashed an opportunity for me to showcase it now to not just my own two eyes, but to other people. And I've made many mistakes in being creative. I've made terrible disasters in what I've created and things that didn't work. But I've always believed that every step you take in every project you work on, so in business, and a creative business, mind you, is where you can lose more money very easily, is that I've always tried harder every time I got the next job. I always wanted to do a little bit better. I always pushed myself to impress myself, not just my potential client or my guests. I think that's what kind of catapulted me to continuing to do better and get more noticed and get more clients and then travel the globe. I mean, It didn't happen all overnight, but because I didn't just give it and do the same thing every single time, I made sure I was doing something really interesting and unique.
1: David spent his teenage years soaking up all of the knowledge that his grandfather had to offer and set himself up to be a savvy business owner. And when preparation found opportunity, it was time for David to fly the coop and expand on what he and his grandfather had built. However, David soon learned that upscaling a business does come with some growing pains. I'll
0: be the first person to admit that I probably had more struggles than most people want to admit to. I can get up on a stage and say, "Yes, I'm super successful. I made a name for myself in the business." But well, wait a minute. I always tell people, let's slow slow the story down because the story has a lot of really bad struggles. You know, t- I didn't meet payroll. I, I dealt with the IRS. I dealt with you know not being able to pay vendors. And uh, here's the story: I never filed bankruptcy. What I always made sure was I worked harder to fix the mistakes I made and to make sure I protected the people that I caused a problem. That's We're going back probably 15 years ago. But when you go through that problem, of large problems, significant amounts of them, you even learn quicker on what not to do. Make a mistake once, got it, you'll fix it. Make a mistake twice, okay, I'll give it a second chance. Make a mistake a third time, then you don't know how to run a business. And you might not be able to be the person running that business. So I always put people in place that were able to support me in the roles I wasn't able to do. Can I actually do my own taxes? Absolutely not. Can I create a beautiful vent? Absolutely (laughs) yes. I I always made sure I had the people that were around me that were smarter than me. in In the areas of expertise, I don't know. And a lot of people who are very successful in any industry, especially in the creative industry, are always bragging how fabulous they are and how great they are at what they do. Well, come on. The the reality is, is like I just said, putting the people around you, it's the puzzle. You build this puzzle around you and you put it together and then you cement it in place. Those people are the ones that will allow anyone that's in this business to elevate themselves. I never claim to know everything. I don't want to know everything. My mind wouldn't be able to be creative if I had so much content in it that didn't have to do with creativity. But it's always learning from your mistakes. And if you're not aware of that, and you assume you're so fabulous that you're just going to figure it out the next time, you're going to fail. And if you fail, failure gives you the opportunity to be more successful. And that's the truth. I've always said you learn, 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 learn from every piece of information and failure that you've had.
1: I fully agree. And thank you for being transparent about that. Because for a lot of creative entrepreneurs, which is a big part of our audience. I love the way that you said it. Like if you are really excelling in your creativity, if you're working so hard to do the taxes and to do all these things that are really a stretch for you to excel at, then it takes up that space of being able to be creative. And then ultimately you will get to a point where you will fail and hopefully be able to learn from it
0: and not do your best work you know you just don't do your best work
1: so talk to me about then expanding the business because now you have not just the events business but you also have I've seen your jewelry line at Macy's I've seen your beautiful bridal line you have also the David Duterte experience you have mentorship for others who are coming up in this industry and it seems like a lot to manage, frankly, but I'm sure it didn't all come at once. How did you decide to roll out these different extensions to the David Tutera brand?
0: Oh, it's a great question. You know, I'll give you the sort of the cliff note version of when television approached me with an idea. And I'm giving you this sort of beginning stages because I passed on television. I thought it was an area I was not interested in. Finally, took on this first television show and it catapulted me in PR, catapulted me in the media. It was a very successful show. I've done, I don't know, I think 10 or 11, 12 shows since then. Ran a consecutive run on television for 17 plus years. And you have to be very careful. You know, you make decisions that you hope are smart decisions. Television to me was a smart decision. But here's the big but. When at that point in my career, I was working for the wealthiest of the wealthy in New York City doing the biggest of the events possible for social and corporate events. When you're placed on television, what happens is those particular clients are not interested in hiring somebody who's too busy on television. So then you start to now realize, "Uh uh-oh, I think I might have made a mistake. I've agreed to an agreement with a network. I have a TV show that goes for five years and I've lost all of my big clients.
1: And just to clarify, because I've done television too, people think that those TV checks are magic and they aren't always like, you don't have to tell me what your deal was in the beginning, but that's a big deal. They, they are thinking, as the network, they're thinking, we're giving you free publicity correct? so that we're not paying you for this, but look at all the business you can get. But you're actually saying you're losing business because correct. you're doing the show.
0: Correct, and... I thought exactly as you're thinking what people would think. It's like, oh, wow, everyone's going to be calling him to do a gig, to do a celebration. And the reality was, is that it literally, I thought, did someone cut my phone line off? Or I, I mean, what happened? And I really, th- I figured it out. You know, people with an enormous amount of money want you to be the only person, you know, you'll give them the attention. So once that show had ended, and again, I think it was five or six years after that first show that was successful ended, I realized, okay. I have to figure this out. And what happened was that clientele kind of still since then has disappeared. A new wave, a new wave surged in. And these were people that had money that were interested in hiring somebody that's been on television. So it was really interesting because it was a different generation. It wasn't the clientele I was working with, but it was the people that said, I just hired David Tutera. You know, David, right? He's on TV. I now have him doing my events. So I had to wait for that period, but waiting in that period was a struggle because I lost business. So if you're very Mm. well aware of your cycle of life, your cycle of business, and you're on top of it or ahead of it, you can almost prepare for the curve or the change. And that was a big lesson for me because now we do what I do in the business. My husband and I, he's the CEO of my company. What we do together is we come up with concepts that are pre in place, knowing when is the right time to launch them. we don't come up with an idea and go, this is a great idea. We should do the mentorship program right now, right? We should teach people in the industry that need more education, understanding how to run their business and how to be more creative. When's a good time? Well, Two years ago, not a good time. We had a good idea two years ago. And then we're sitting in the middle of COVID and we're like, uh uh-oh, this is a good time because people need support. People need the help. People need the guidance on how to get out of this, not just how to be in the business, but how to get out of the drama and get into now where where we'll be tomorrow in our industry. It just happened to be perfect timing for that. And we knew what the right time was, but you have to know when the best time is to launch something and how to do
1: it. That's really good advice. And speaking of knowing the right time, like the next question I was going to ask you was about the pandemic, because of course, doing a live event business had to shift in the last year for you. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that are in the events industry. We even talked to some at the beginning of the pandemic on this show who had to completely rethink the way they ran their business and even the service that they were offering. How did you get through?
0: We got through with these new programs that we've built. You know, we also have the David Tutera Live Experience, which is a conference we've done for six consecutive years. We had to cancel it during COVID. But during that time, we've also increased, we've actually doubled our event experience to two a year. So we finally pushed through, got to Orlando, Florida, did it in Orlando in March we decided that we were going to be one, if not the only first live event for industry people only, where we tested everyone that arrived, vendors, attendees, hotel staff, workers, all the educators that we flew in. And we made sure that we were doing everything by protocol purposes and beyond for safety. Because this industry, I always have said, the event industry is filled with creative people but it's not filled with a team or an organization that supports or understands how to push forward. We're always just sitting waiting for a job to happen, but we're never looking at tomorrow's future. And Joey and I figured out, we need to figure out a future for this industry. We need to figure out how to set this up so we can have success, not just us, but everyone that's struggling. So I've said, and I hate to say I'm right about this, but I don't think we're going to see the event industry come alive till 2022. I think we're still holding on. I think there are definitely pockets of communities that run by a very different government in each of those counties, in each of those states that have opportunities that maybe here in California we don't have or in New York City they don't have. But the reality is when we get back to normal, and I say normal, I mean when we really can have any amount of people and do it wherever we choose to do it because our clients are asking for us, will will be till 2022. And people say, oh, you're doom and gloom. You're not. You, I'm telling you, what I know from the knowledge of 30 plus years of this industry, you can't just re-enter this moment, but you do have to find ways to to continue your livelihood. People have done very different things and we've done the same.
1: Yes. And it does require a little bit of creativity. And I think it's also, it's really admirable that you're looking for ways to make it say first for the people within the industry so that then they can kind of bring that message out to the public at large. But I think it all comes back here to where we began, David. And you said what you do is create experiences that bring people joy. And it's an excellent reminder when you're in those moments to just come back to the reason why you do what you do in the first place. So thank you for being here and sharing so Mm -hmm. much of your story, going down memory lane with us, and I wish you continued success in 2021, 2022, and certainly beyond. Thanks, David.
0: You're so welcome. Thank you. It's always an honor.
1: David brings up an excellent point. If your livelihood depends on large gatherings of people, what would happen for your business if you got creative about other streams of income while we wait for the world to return to normal? Later this week, we'll release a Nerdisode, David's big tips on how creative entrepreneurs can keep a team organized, plus keep clients happy, and come in on budget. Here's what else we learned from David today. Nothing worth having comes easy. Your success depends on your consistency and hard work day in and day out. Entrepreneurship could be in your DNA and you don't even know it. Look to the people around you for guidance as you build your business. Take the time to find a mentor and plan for the future. We're all looking forward to one day returning to normal, but it's always good to have a plan B. Visit davidtutera.com for more info on his mentorship program, upcoming events, and links to all of the brands we talked about in the interview today. The I Make a Living podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Balancing your books, client relationships, and business isn't easy. FreshBooks gives you all the info and time you need to focus on your big picture, your business, team, and clients. Right now, you can go to freshbooks.com podcast and take advantage of an exclusive offer for our listeners. And while you're at it, check out all the resources available to you through our show notes. Our executive producer is Francisco Erzmendi. Editorial and content producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. And I'm Damona Hoffman, your producer and host. Follow me at Damona Hoffman and FreshBooks at FreshBooks on all of the social platforms for more tips, tools, and resources because it's your business. See you on Thursday.